This is a big timing comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are bandits. Are you jumping or am I undermedicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? Episode 20, and it's a fun one. I've got a guy with us tonight that I actually got to see live in Baltimore at a very quaint uh, little restaurant setting, and it was a lot of fun to see him up close and personal and in that intimate setting. It's songwriter Steve Dorff. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to have you. You've got a lot going on, mister. Uh, let's start with getting inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame for 2018. Yeah. I mean, yeah, impressive. Still, still unbelievable to me. But, tell, um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's it's every songwriter's dream, I think. It's been mine for forever. It's been the, the bucket list thing that I write about in my book. And... Um, and for it to happen uh, on the first ballot, I, I was not expecting it. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really blown away by it. And uh, it's on June 14th. So the, uh, the ramp up to it has been exciting because it's been very publicized. And we're looking uh, forward to the dinner. And it's a big gala, big banquet. And uh, it should be incredible. Where does that take place? In New York, in New the, York, uh, Grand Ballroom of the um, Marriott Marquis Hotel. That's your hometown, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, born uh, and mostly raised, because you came to my hometown in 1967, 66, 67. Something like that. Something like <laughs> that. You went to Woodlawn High School, graduated from yeah. Woodlawn. Yep. Mm-hmm. And played in a band with a very well-known Baltimore guy, Mr. Tony Shudo. Right, but he wasn't well-known then. He was like 14 years old. <laughs> he was the kid back then, right? I saw him at a uh, at a pool party at where I was living, and I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. These guys were so great, and we started talking music. They invited me to play with them. I was 16, and um, and so we had a little band together called the Ravens for uh, for about six weeks, and uh, and then 15 years later, I produced his first album on Sony, on Columbia back then. It's crazy. So you guys were the Ravens. Now we're the Baltimore Ravens, and we had another band, the Ravens. They came out with a very popular song that was on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's like coming really? back around, you know. Very cool. I love that there's a Baltimore tie with you. And I loved hearing that at Germano's. That was a lot of fun. Tell me about the book that you wrote. 
Well, I, I wrote my memoir, uh, which came out in November. It's been out now about six months. And um, it's called I Wrote That One Too, um, a life in songwriting from Willie to Whitney. And it basically talks about um, my life in songwriting, of course. But, but it kind of focuses on the anonymous nature of songwriters like me who aren't the face of our songs. Um, you know, Kenny Rogers or uh, Celine Dion or Barbara Streisand or any one of the great artists that have recorded my music over the years um, are the faces of the of the songs. And uh, nobody knows who <laughs> who I am. Um, nobody really knows who the songwriters are. And so the book focuses mostly on on that, the behind the scenes uh, roller coaster of uh that fine line between success and dismal failure and, uh, and the journey of how these things get written and how they become hits or, or misses. That's what we love on this show is the behind the scenes look. And mm -hmm. you guys, the songwriters are the ones that have the stories to tell. So it's yeah. great to have you guys publicize memoirs like that so that we can get the behind the scenes look of how these songs came to be. I love that. Let's dive into a little bit, shall we? Karen Carpenter had a song. Dusty Springfield had the same song. But Anne Murray had that song, and it became Song of the Year, Grammy-nominated, Fall in Love Again. Tell me how you wrote Fall in Love Again. Oh, boy. That was a, that was a long time ago. Um, well, you know, the process to writing songs for me is the same. Um, it's been the same since I started when I was a teenager to, to a song I wrote yesterday. And, um, it's, it's really being inspired by something I'm feeling or that I've lived and, uh, and just thinking about it and coming up with that hook that makes it a little bit fresh sounding. And, um, and then of course, sitting down at the piano and hearing, the melody and the chords and, and, and writing the song that, that was a song I, I wrote with, uh, it started with, a, a co-writer named Larry Herbstritt. We, we sat down and wrote that song one day and we had a different title to it. And I was really not happy with the lyric at all. And, um, I didn't think it was, it was good enough. And, and I had a friend, uh, uh, another songwriter, Gloria Scleroff, who I played the melody for, and she loved it. And I said, why don't you write the lyric? And uh, she did. And um, it was I Just Fall in Love Again. So the, the process of that song was probably a week before we had it really finished and, and demoed. And, uh, and yeah, Karen Carpenter was the first to record it and uh, was on their album. And, and then uh, because it wasn't a single with Karen at uh, Dusty had heard it and um, she cut it and it wasn't a single for her. And then Anne Murray cut it and uh, they put it out and they had a big hit with it. It was great. I love that song. I really do. Thanks. And another Thanks. song that you had intentionally written for boys to men, I crossed my heart. It ended up going to George Strait, but you were talking about a story of how it went to somebody else first. And it was 
awful. We couldn't even find a copy of it on the internet. Tell me who that was, because I taught her how to eat crabs here in Baltimore. When I was 15 years old, I sat across from her and taught her how to eat crabs. Tell everybody who it was. Well, we, we Eric Kaz and I wrote wrote this song, and um, and we did. We had kind of a boys to men kind of vibe to the song. I crossed my heart, and um, and we demoed it, and nobody nobody saluted. You know, everybody just kind of went, eh, it's okay. Um, and Bette Midler uh, somehow heard it. I, uh, I went back in and had redemoed it with a girl, and I guess. She heard my demo, and uh, they recorded it, and um, we were pretty excited. You know, Bet's Bet's a great artist and one of the biggest, arguably one of the biggest stars of that time, and um, it just was not a good record. And uh, and to her credit, I think she realized it because uh, she asked the producer to go back in the studio and try to re-sing it, and it just wasn't happening. She wasn't feeling it. And so they they canned it. It was not. They took it off the album, and um, uh, I was very disappointed, obviously. And um, we played that song for everybody I knew, including my mother, for the next eight years, and everybody passed on it. Um, everybody said, "Well, it's it's nice, but not one of your best." And um, and we finally, uh, I finally had the opportunity to play for George for a movie I was doing with him called Pure Country. Right, Pure Country. And, and George didn't love it either. He, he thought it had too many chords in it. And, um, but he agreed to try it. And once he did, it just was magical. And uh, uh, he put it out and we were number one for three weeks. We sold eight million records and uh, it became the ninth greatest country love song ever written uh, according to cmt so um so much for boys to men you know let's take a quick listen to george singing i cross my heart our love is unconditional we knew it from the start I see it in your eyes You can feel it from my heart From here on after Oh, I love that. That's so country. I listen to that and I go, (laughs) boys to men? Motown Philly to that? No. And I listen to George Strait and I go, yeah, that's a good fit. How often does that happen for you? Well, that's a good point because it takes the right marriage between a voice and a song for it to become a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously when Bette did it, it wasn't, you know, she's got a great voice and the song was the same, but it wasn't, it wasn't a great marriage. And when George did it, it just, it just was perfect. And, uh, it, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, I, I've had it happen a lot for me, obviously, because I've had, a bunch of hits, but, um, but sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, and you just go, you know, you just shake your head and go, wow, how did that song not become a hit? Cause I do have some that I feel like are some of the best things I've ever written, but they just didn't, didn't find their home. I love that you said marriage because it really is a chemistry that needs to happen. It's a spark. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, another one of my favorite artists covered one of your songs and had a a duet with Jermaine Jackson, and that's Whitney Houston. Song sold 25 million copies. Take good care of my heart. I have to tell you, that was probably one of my favorite albums growing up was that Whitney album. That debut Whitney album was phenomenal. It was great. Every song on that album, it's very rare to hit an album where every single song is awesome and you want to listen to it and not skip anything. And back then, remember, we didn't have the CDs or we didn't have the iPods or iPads. You had to go through the tape or the record and you couldn't necessarily skip it with a tape. You had to fast forward. It was a pain. So you wanted an album that you really cared about. That was a great album. Tell me about Take Good Care of My Heart. Well, it was... um... It was a song that Peter McCann and I wrote, and uh, um, it was actually recorded three times in the space of the same month. Um, a guy named Roy Head recorded it. I can barely remember who he was. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. <laughs> Mr. Um, Head, we're sorry. <laughs> and, uh, Roy Head did a version of it, and I remember very little of it. Um, I always had liked the song, so I always kept a copy of it on my desk, you know, a, a, a cassette of the demo. Um, and then Ann Murray cut it, and because uh, I had done a lot with Ann, and uh, I sent it to Ann, and she, she recorded it and put it on an album. And then Jermaine Jackson called me one day, and I'd worked with Jermaine, um, on a previous album for Motown. And this was his first album for Clive Davis and Arista. And, um, he called me up and he said, uh, I'm looking for a killer duet, um, that, uh, kind of in the same mode as the song you and I had worked on, on that five years ago. I couldn't even remember the song we had worked on five years ago. So I just said, oh, I've got a great couple of great duets. He said, great. Can you bring them down to the studio? I'm recording tonight. I said, really? So I I just grabbed a bunch of tapes and stuck them in my pocket. None of them were duets. None of them were, were demoed as duets. And um, I got down to the studio and uh, Jermaine jumped in my car and I popped the first cassette I pulled out of my pocket was take good care of my heart. And he started listening to it and he started singing along with it at the second chorus. And he said, that's the song. Wow. And I said, I said, great. Who are you going to record it with? Like Dion or Aretha or, you know, hoping wishful hoping. And, um, he said, no, I'm, I'm doing it with this new girl. Um, she's a model from New Jersey and she sings pretty good too. Uh, her name's Whitney Houston, and I was disappointed. I, I thought, oh no, you know, I, I was really hoping for you know a big, big name, and uh, but you know, you never know. You just never know. Look so, what happened uh, there, Steve. Magic. There mm-hmm. Pure magic. You couldn't get mm-hmm. anybody better on your song. No. Look at that. No. <laughs> no. Let's take a quick listen to Take Good Care of My Heart with Whitney Houston and Jermaine Jackson.
love that song. I've always loved that song. It's crazy. Boy, she she could sing. She could sing. And so could Jermaine. Jermaine, you know, Jermaine was uh, very uh, underrated, I think, you know, because obviously because of Michael, but um, Jermaine was great. He really is. He's he's just not recognized as much, but his talent is just incredible. They The whole Jackson family, I mean, let's admit it. They're just yeah. oozing with talent, um, you know, and when you get overshadowed by your brother, I mean, it just happens sometimes. But, man, he's a special talent, too. He really is. You wrote a lot for different movies. And I want to talk about the one that you were writing for where Nora Ephron needed a, um, a song about pie <laughs> yes. for a John Travolta and an Andy McDowell movie. And you wrote it in 10 minutes after looking at an encyclopedia. Can you sing it for us and tell us about it? I want to hear you sing the pie song. Yeah, well, I, I'm not near a keyboard, but uh, <laughs> uh, it it goes, uh, pie, pie, me, oh my, nothing tastes wet, sweet, salty, and dry, all at once as well as pie. Apple, pumpkin, mince, and black bottom, I'll come to your place every day if you got them. Pie, me, oh my, I love pie. That was it. I mean, how dumb is that? On the spot. <laughs> how great is that? I love that. They should have, the yeah. movie Waitress should have come to you and used that, that again. I'm telling you. That, we should find that on YouTube. We should find that on YouTube. We have to. Yeah. Tell me about well, writing that pie song. It's, it's on there. Um, well, I, I was having dinner, and uh, I got a phone call um, that Nora Ephron uh, needed a song. Uh, and because the scene wasn't working as it was scripted. And um, so uh, she said, uh, it's got to be about pie. And I said, great. I, I said, okay, well, let me work on it. I said, when do you need it by? And she said, 6.30 in the morning. And because uh, they were filming. And um, so I got off the phone and, um, you know, panicked. And, uh, but kind of just sat down and, um, I, I did go to the world book to look up pie, to get some buzzwords about different kinds of pie. And, uh, and yeah, I took the approach of, um, how would a waitress be selling the menu? You know, um, that's a good approach. I'm thinking about that now. Yep. How you did that. That's why I tried to get the apple, pumpkin, mince, black bottom, all, all the different pies, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and then uh, the next day they they shot the scene, and uh, Andy McDowell ended up singing it in the movie. Uh, they, I think, they did it three or four different ways with them all singing it, and then with John singing it, and then with Andy singing it, and. You know, who knows what happens in the cutting room. In the movie, it ended up with Andy McDowell singing it to everybody in the restaurant. So cool. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to check that out. What movie was that? Do you remember? Michael. Michael. Okay. I remember that movie. I did see that movie. Yeah, I have to go back and look at the pie song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's on YouTube. It's easy to find. Okay. Did you find it, Mike? I see two versions. <laughs> okay. We might insert it. <laughs> There's there two, are two versions. Two versions, huh, Mike? Yeah, there's one that's got a picture with Andy McDowell, and then the other one's got a picture with John Travolta in it. And it's, I'm, I'm not going to try and pull it up while we're talking, but it, they're there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Hi, hi, me, oh, my. 
Nothing tastes sweet with salty and dry. All at once, so what is pie? Apple, pumpkin, mint, and hot bottom. I come to your place every day if you've got them. Pie, me, oh my, I love pie. Very cool. Well, I want to tell you something. I love Facebook memories. And the reason I love Facebook memories is because when you get older, you lose your mind and you don't remember what happened yesterday, let alone five years ago. So this morning, no lie, this morning I woke up and I checked my Facebook memories. Five years ago today, I posted the theme song to Growing Pains and I wrote, this is my favorite TV theme song of all time. And I can't wait to expose my daughters to this show and shows that I grew up with because you just can't find them anymore. And I shared it again today. And I said, I did not realize that five years later, I would be having this conversation with you. Growing Pains theme song by far is my favorite theme song ever. It is one of the most spectacular songs as long as we've got each other. And I love the story that you tell of how you created it. Can you give it to us? Yeah, it's another one of those uh, quirky, right time, right place. I I, I got a call from my agent to go um, look at a pilot over at Warner's, a brand new show that they were trying to get on the air for ABC. And and I went over and and, uh, went in a room, a screening room, and watched this 22 minutes of – this kind of mindless uh, sitcom <laughs> and then met with the um, three producers, the creators of the show. And uh, we talked about music and uh, um, they each wanted something completely different in the, in the music um, from Latin percussion to Pat Metheny to John Sebastian. And uh, so I just shook my head as I was leaving. I think I did call my agent in the car and say, uh, can you get me out of this? Um, Because I didn't really have a clue as to what to write. So I got home about 20 minutes later, and my good friend and collaborator, John Bettis, was um, at my house. We had a writing appointment to finish a song that we had started the previous week that we were excited about. And I said, hey, John, before we get into that, I just watched this thing. They're expecting music tomorrow. I, I, I don't even really want to write it at all, but could you help me? Could you just kind of, I'll tell you what it's about, come up with some idea. We'll write it real quick. Then we'll get on to our song. So he said, sure, what is it? So I told him about the family, the Sieber family, Alan Thicke, and this kid, Kirk Cameron, who's kind of a smart ass and yada, yada, yada. And he he um, he writes this lyric down called "As Long as We Got Each Other." He wrote it like he was writing the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, wow. It just flew out of him, and he stuck it on the piano. I'd say no more than ten minutes. And I looked at it, and I wrote it. He wrote the music to it in another ten minutes, and uh, I said, "Good. Can we go write that other song now?" And um, and we did. We spent about four hours on this song that never went anywhere. <laughs> and then the next day, the producers called me and said, well, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've been writing on this thing all night long. Um, 
you know, when can we hear it? I said, well, if you want to come over, I'll play it for you. And then, of course, I had to remember it. And uh, they came over and I, I played it and uh, panicked because I realized it had nothing whatsoever to do with any of the elements that they wanted. And they looked at me after I finished it. And it was only 30 seconds long. And um, I looked up and uh, they were all smiling and they said, that's exactly what we wanted. So you just, you know, some of these things are just inexplicable. Um, uh, being at the right place at the right time, being awfully lucky sometimes. And, uh, uh, and, and I'd, I like to think I'm pretty good at what I do. So that adds but nobody's a little denying bit. that. You sure are. So, so we, uh, and the show ran for eight years, which shows how much, uh, I know about television and, um, it was, yeah, it was one of the great, great themes. Um, and one of, uh, one of John's and my most lucrative songs of all the things we've done together. Let's take a listen to my favorite TV theme song of all time. And then I have a question for you. Show me that smile that little cling at the end did you come up with that i did you did yeah, yeah. that's actually that. play, i played i played on that and uh i don't play much anymore on my own stuff but i i did play on that one and uh yeah bj was just so amazing what a voice and and uh incredible uh, you know and there are so many versions i don't know if you've heard the other versions you that know, was my question version. that was my question is that there are so many versions because it's on for eight years they have to mix it up here and there so my question is when they change it up do they come back to you or do they do it outside of no, you every, well no every year they we get together before the new season because i did all the music for every episode mm -hmm. so uh, you know i was with these guys for eight years oh wow and, okay uh, were like family so every year um the producers who would say you know what can we do to the theme they didn't want to change it the song they just wanted to you know we did one year we did an acapella version which is my favorite version yes was that when they were in the the formal wear i believe i don't know I but the theme was we did it like a beach boys acapella oh, okay uh, and then one, uh, there was a Halloween episode where they wanted me to do kind of like a monster mash version of it. You can you can look these up on YouTube. They're hysterical. Oh, I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> monster so. mash, growing pains. I'm writing it down right now because I want to hear that. I, I yeah, it started with "Show me that smile again." You know, it was a really scary episode. So they wanted me to do a Halloween 
version of it. Uh, we did a, a wedding version of it. We did a couple of duet versions of it. Um, one with Dusty Springfield and one with uh, Jennifer Warrens. So, yeah, that was a, that was a fun, fun era. Really fun. Fantastic. I love that. I really, really do. When you have to look for inspiration, do you really try to pull as much as you can from your personal life? Or do you kind of look outside of your personal life and at the world around you? Because I've talked to other songwriters and it seems like it's 50-50, where some of them really just draw from the personal and others don't involve themselves and really just look at the world around them. Mine, that's a really good question. I would say that mine is, um, my experiences have been a little of both, but I would say 75% come from uh, personal experiences. I always say, write what you know. And, um, and I think that's what makes songs resonate with average listeners. Uh, the trick is, to not make it too personal to where they get bored because they don't want to know about your life. So you, you have to make every song resonate to Bob and Mary in Des Moines, Iowa, and make them think that they're singing it right to them. And, and that, that was the beauty of Through the Years and I Cross My Heart. They became wedding and anniversary songs that everybody related to, and that's what made them so big. I have, I have your next big hit right here, Steve. You can write a song tonight, probably in about 10 minutes like you usually do. And <laughs> you would resonate with the older generation and the younger generation. Toys R Us is closing. And I feel like everybody is really sad about that. So take Are they that. Really? I, didn't, I to- didn't hear that. Yeah, Toys R Us is closing all of their stores it's the end of an era here, Steve. So I would, I would draw from that and write, you know, you, you're no longer a Toys R Us kid. You may have a top 10 hit with this one. I spent a lot of money in Toys R Us. <laughs> I have four kids. Um, I know you have four kids. Yeah. 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 Your son, Steven, is a very well-known actor. I used to watch him on the Aerosmith video when he played Alicia Silverstone's uh, boyfriend. And, uh-huh. yep, I remember him very, very well. Um and how is he doing? Let's brag about your kids for a little bit. He's, he's in Arkansas doing uh, True Detective for HBO the next season. Do they really film in Arkansas? Well, they're doing this one there because the okay. murder takes place in the Ozarks. So. Gotcha. Uh, so he's in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas for the next four months filming that. And um, he's doing great. He's doing a movie right after that. And... Uh, so he's, he's staying busy. And I know that you lost your other son, which we're so sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he was a songwriter himself, right? Andrew was an incredible songwriter, is an incredible songwriter. I mean, we've got 1,600 of his songs in his catalog, and he uh, just had his fifth number one with Rascal Flatts. Wow. And uh, has two big songs coming out the end of this year, um, by old dominion and, uh, Hunter Hayes. And, um, so the music lives on and, uh, um, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible, tragic loss that I'll never get over. Oh, I can't so. even imagine. Do you think maybe in the future you'll be able to take some of his 
songs and maybe make something of it, um, you know, that weren't able to, oh, yeah. to get I'm out? Doing every, I'm doing it every day. I work his catalog probably more than I do mine because it's better. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he has songs that are, that are so, um, so today and so today radio, uh, that they just really resonate. And, uh, um, and he was so well loved in uh, Nashville circles that, uh, the artists are still looking for his songs. So, uh, um, I, I trust we'll be hearing a lot of his music for many, many, many years to come. Looking forward to it. And you've got two yeah. girls, just like I've got two girls. Yeah. I've got two girls, 20 and 18. Wow. And, uh, and they keep me hopping. Any advice for me, Steve? Because mine are eleven and a half, and we're entering those scary years. Are they? Are they twins? They're twins. Oh, yeah, identical. Fraternal. Fraternal. Okay. Well, yeah. good luck. <laughs> Um, yeah, my, my daughter, uh, my daughter, uh, was out dress shopping today for her, uh, prom, her senior prom. She's graduating high school. And, uh, so my question was after I transferred $400 into her account for a new dress, um, was why is it that girls and women can never wear the same dress twice? Oh, because, you know, we always have to have new things, Steve. Why not? Right? You know, new shoes, new yeah. then, then need new shoes. I wear the same shoes I wore 17 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. We we like to anytime we have a chance to get something new, we will take advantage of that. Especially if difference. dad is buying the dress. I'm with her. Well, there's the difference between girls and boys. And boys. There's another yeah. song for you, Steve. Yeah. All I had to do with my boys was throw them a football, and that was it, you know. <laughs> well, let's talk about my favorite song of yours that is the most special to me. I probably cry every time I hear it. In fact, I do. And that is Through the Years. Now, growing up, my family would make videos for each other in honor of anniversaries or birthdays. And so my grandparents had three boys. My father's the middle. And the three boys came together and got a video made for their parents for their anniversary. And the song on there was Kenny Rogers Through the Years. It was really special to my family. And so I guess like the big thing is I want to know how you came up with that because it is such an incredible song. Tell me. Well... Um, truth be told, um, <laughs> uh, Marty Panzer, who wrote the lyric, uh, with Marty, uh, he always, um, wrote lyrics first. Marty and I've written together for the last, I don't know, 20 something years. And, um, through the years was our third song together. And he came over for dinner one night. And as he always did, he had a brown manila envelope with a lyric in it, all typed out. And, uh, he's, I said, what's in the envelope? He says, you know, what's in the envelope. I've got a new lyric for you. I said, Oh, great. I, so I yelled in to my wife at the time, um, <laughs> uh, how long till dinner ready? And she said, Oh, about 15 minutes. And, um, he pulled this lyric out and, um, I started reading it and I started hearing it and, uh, we went to the piano and wrote it before dinner. And, um, 
uh, great story. And, and the, and the story of how it became a hit is, is even better. Um, it also had its own journey. You know, a lot of people passed on it before, uh, Lionel Richie took it and played it for Kenny. And, um, I love that story. Tell that story of how that happened. Well, Lionel, I was told was thinking of recording it. And, uh, but he was also producing Kenny Rogers at the time. They had just had a lady, which was gigantic. Huge. And, uh, they were having a song meeting and Kenny was not liking much of what Lionel was playing or what they had found. And Lionel said, well, I'm going to play you something that, that I'm recording. If you love this, it'll at least show me the direction you want to go. And he played through the years, the demo, which was just me at the piano. And um, at the time, I, uh, Kenny's wife was walking through the living room and heard the demo. And she walked over to Kenny and said, you're cutting this. It's a big hit. And, uh, and so they did. And... Uh, it was. <laughs> it, it just, it's the it most just went over five perfect voice. Yeah, five million broadcast performances, wow. which, is, which is a huge deal. So. It's the most perfect voice for those lyrics and for that music. It's just perfect. Everything fit like it was supposed to. I yeah, love that. Because he was Kenny was not the first to hear it. Glenn Campbell was. Wow. And Glenn passed. Yeah. And Manilow passed. Mm-hmm. Man- and uh, that's not a Manilow song. I can't. No, I can't see. And it. then this guy Stevie Woods recorded it. And uh, I never heard of that guy again. But uh, and then somehow Kenny did it, and um, it's crazy, you know. It's perfect. I'm so glad that you guys did this. It made a difference in my life and everybody else's life. Tell me, speaking of that, all of these songs that hit people for special moments in their life, how do you guys get a song that you know is really going to resonate with people and be used in weddings or bar and bat mitzvahs or birthdays, something that's meaningful and will stay with them their entire life? How do you get that? Well, it's, you know, it's like I said, Meredith, it's, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of stars got to line up. Um, Mm -hmm. I wrote one yesterday and I I don't write that many songs anymore. I used to write, you know, 60 songs a year. Now, if I write 15 or 12 a year, that's, that's a big number for me because I'm doing so much other stuff. But I wrote one the other day that's I think is every bit as good as either uh, I crossed my heart through the years, and and we'll just have to see if uh, we'll have to see. I think it's it could be a huge wedding song, and um, uh, so I'm I'm in the process of demoing it, and uh, and then it has a, uh, you know it's like giving birth to another kid, and we'll see where where the where the life of where the journey goes with this song, you know, as as all of them. You know, all of them have their own little journeys to either great success or uh, just being one of a of a big catalog. I, I always liken my catalog, and I think all songwriters uh, like a um, an, an iceberg. You know, an iceberg 
you only see about 15% of it above water. The other 85% is below water and nobody ever sees it. And it's the same with the catalog of songs by a writer. Um, you might hear 10 or 15% of them in a lifetime and the other 85% might be great, but for one reason or another, they never got their shot. So, yeah. uh, so I've had more than my fair share though. And so I'm, very blessed and very thankful for that so well we're thankful for you and we love this music so thank you so much and your book i wrote that one too is available out there in bookstores and i'm sure on amazon i i saw it there too and you've got the songwriters hall of fame coming up in june in new york city we can't wait to to see that and hear all about it you're going to post links on social media i'm sure right Uh, yeah you're on twitter you're on instagram you're on facebook and Uh do you have a website stevedork.com there you go you heard it here first well thank you steve we we loved having you on and maybe you'll come back and uh and talk to us after you you get inducted and tell us all about the experience we'd love to hear it anytime this is fun it's great <laughs> thanks buddy okay well that was fun to hear all about the storytelling of steve dorf's songs doesn't get any better than that i tell you Well, come on back next episode, episode 21, we talk with the one and the only Mr. John Oates of Hall & Oates. We've got a lot to dive into with him and his new album, Arkansas. But here is Kenny Rogers and my favorite, Through the Years. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. I can't remember when you weren't there When I didn't care for anyone but you I swear we've been through everything there is Can't imagine anything we've missed Can't imagine anything the two of us can't do Through the years, you've never let me down You've turned my life around The sweetest days I've found, I've found with you Through the years, I've never been afraid I've loved the life we've made And I'm so glad I stayed Right here with you Through the years I can't remember what I used to do Who I trusted who I listened to before I swear You've taught me everything I know Can't imagine needing someone so But through the years it seems to me I need you more and more Through the years Through all the good and bad I know how much we have I've always been so glad to be with you Tears away 
As long as it's okay I'll stay with you This is a big-timing comedy production.